beyond infinity. As I mentioned earlier, I've got Simon Mulvaney of Save the Bees Australia in the studio with me. I thought it would be appropriate just to have a little bit of an update about bees because bees are pretty important. You know, we need them to to pollinate uh, crops. We need them to make honey. Uh, they're a pretty uh, important part of the ecosystem. And there are a few things that you've noticed recently about um, beekeeping uh, on the peninsula compared with up in Melbourne that are a bit of concern, Simon. Yeah, so um, I'd heard from a few beekeepers in Melbourne that they hadn't had a drop of honey this season. And then last week I went to a beekeeping club in Blackburn. I think they had over 100 members and not one of them had taken a jar of honey. And um, and then I, I rang a commercial beekeeper, John Edmonds, and asked him about the issue. And he said... They were expecting a bumper crop in Victoria this year, mm-hmm. and they had it, they one of the worst seasons on record. Right, and so that might mean that the honey prices may go up during the year. Mm. Um, I realise how fortunate we are. We're down between Blairgowrie and Portsea. I've had one of the best seasons I've ever had, um, and that's mostly due to the Moona that flowered. Um, just had a really great blossoming season of them. So. Um, yeah, a lot different for um, for us down on the coast, mm. but for the beekeepers in Melbourne, it's just one of those years where um, they, any honey that came in, they have to leave for the bees. Gee whiz. And you said it was particularly good flowering for Moona trees, and so that's sort of feeding the the, um, the, the bees on the southern peninsula and, and hence the really good yield? Yeah, for, for me, it, it, timing's a big issue. Like if I've got maybe 50, 60 hives up, up, out there, mm. if I can take a box of full honey off and put in the frames, they'll, they'll be able to fill those boxes twice if, if I get the timing right. Mm-hmm. So um, every box I've checked... Um, has been full between um, Blegari and Portsy, which um, hasn't been the case in other years. So, Right. What happens if you don't empty, well, when the box gets full with honey, what happens if you don't empty it? So what, what do the bees do? Will they just leave and it'll just go off or what happens? Um, so basically, you've, you've heard me speak a lot about swarming season mm. and a bee's purpose is to fill that that whole area that you give to them um, because the honey actually is a thermomass. They can eat it, but it also keeps them warm. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I'll do this time of year is take a box of honey off, but then also take that box with me and and close down the space so they can keep warm. Um, But basically, um, they're they're good at preparing, I suppose. Um, If they fill it, they just cruise and don't work as much so their goal is to totally fill the space that they can yep and um, sometimes you can tell when when a hive's full um, when walking up because the bees aren't really working they're just meandering around the box and i'll say oh you know this one's full so that's um that's good that we've had that season down here yeah but not the same in melbourne unfortunately yeah you, you've got these terrific websites, which you've got lots and lots of resources for people who are interested. Um, there's uh, Be The Cure, I think, is your main website. Yeah, and one thing I did um, during lockdown is I created a beekeeping course. I realised that people weren't able to go out and um, and and go to beekeeping clubs or, or meet up with their mentors. So I think the course is maybe $150. Mm-hmm. Um, it might take 
couple of days to do. There's quizzes. It tells you everything you need um, to get into beekeeping. Right. And even if you're just interested in bees in general, it would be a really fun course to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then whether we can make that part of a school curriculum or something is something we're working on doing as well. Okay. Terrific. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, it's just such a, uh, it's such a kind of basic thing that we all take for granted that, you know, and, and particularly people who've got crops and things. I mean, I remember you telling me a while ago that bees were in such poor shape in, in places like China, I guess because of pollution, environmental damage and habitat loss, that sort of thing, that they were having to hand uh, pollinate uh um, was it um, almond groves? That sort of well, thing? well uh, like a lot of things, almonds is definitely one of the species that are totally reliant on bees. But blueberries and there's, um, you know, even even canola and other things mm. relying on on the honeybees for pollination. And then touching on that subject, I got a call this year that there'd been an, um, because we have the second biggest almond crop in the world in Victoria. Do we so, really? Yeah. After so where? California. Mm-hmm. And in, in California, they're so desperate for honeybees now for their monoculture crops that I think um, they pay beekeepers 200 US, um, more than 200 US to leave their hives there for the month of flowering. Mm. So beekeepers over there are making a lot more money through pollination now mm. than they are through their honey. Right. And, and then... We, unfortunately, are seeming to be copying, you know, America's way of doing things because the almond crops actually um, aren't very sustainable in the fact they take a lot of water from the rivers right? and they're, they're heavily pested, you know, there's a lot of heavy pesticides used. Okay. And then this year, um, a, a commercial beekeeper rang me and said, have you heard? And, and I said, what? And he goes, there's been a spraying event at the almonds and there's been more than 30,000 hives lost. Wow. In, um, this is in California? No, this is in Victoria oh, last gosh. year. Okay. And so um, I I rang a couple of beekeepers and, and thought they'd want to talk about the event. And um, obviously that's a lot of money for them to lose that many hives. Mm. But I heard there's an internal battle going on between um, the farmers, the beekeepers and the government on who should pay. And, um, and these beekeepers did, did earn so much money doing the pollination there. They don't really want to... Um, you know, go on the record talking about and, and, and potentially lose the sites they've got on these almond groves. So yep. um, the age did run an article on the topic um, and I come from a different perspective where is it, is it the, what about the treatment of bees themselves and is it right to essentially put these bees on a suicide mission hmm. and then contract diseases and then, they migrate so after they go to the almonds you know they could go anywhere in australia and start um spreading those diseases like we saw you know that COVID can happen these diseases can spread around australia so um it's these greedy farming practices of growing these huge monoculture crops for export or for whatever else they do is really damaging the bees or it, it, it's not a system that's going to win in the long run. And do these do farmers who've got these sort of broader crops like almonds, for example, would they have their own 
lot of you know their own beehives for, for the pollination purpose or do they bring them in they bring them in really and yeah would and it be worth their while having their own bees to save on that f- the fees they've got to pay or not worth it the, the reason i think i've read about one almond farmer trying to do that mm. um but the issue that they have is um when you're on a monoculture crop you there's not enough nectar for the bees to be sustained there for a whole year Okay. So they have to move them back and uh, forth. So basically, the almonds um, are the first flowering event of the season for the beekeeper, basically. Um, and so the weaker colonies will get taken to the almonds and then, you know, they'll get through that pollination and then they'll go on to something. Maybe they'll go into some eucalypt forests and get their immunity back up again and their strength up again. And it's a constant cycle. Mm-hmm. But um, you need to try to have them strong to get to the almonds and um, when i was going through the food purity issues with honey um, one thing i was fascinated to find out is a lot of beekeepers are buying chinese pollen to feed their bees so they can take them to the almonds and then so if you're feeding your bees chinese pollen does that mean that the whole hive is contaminated in a way Mm. and and it probably is so the pollination industry you know is a a complete it will probably end up being completely different to the honey industry where you'll get pollination beekeepers and honey industry you know honey beekeepers Mm -hmm. um but um there's more money in the pollination at this stage than there is in making honey yeah what other things can bees be used for do they make any medicines or any anything else any uh, other important roles apart from um, pollination and making honey yeah so um i I think the whole beehive itself is a healing uh, mechanism even in the fact of watching them work and how diligent they are Mm. they're good for morale you know bees don't have much time for sorrow and um, people think that the bees are only collecting nectar and pollen but they also collect um, minerals and and propolis and propolis is um, different saps from plants Mm -hmm. and a lot of people um, they say the most hygienic place in the world is inside a beehive and the bees will coat the whole beehive with this propolis to the extent that they put it on the front of the hive where the bees wipe their feet to come in. And there's guard bees to make sure all the bees are clean that are coming in as well. And propolis in Greek means protect the city. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do use for embalming the mummies in Egypt and other things. And then so I get uh, I've had several people write to me, where can we get good propolis balm? And they say it cures their kids psoriasis mm. and, and other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a fascinating thing now, though, that um, is coming out is a lot of people are using bee venom for treatments. Um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow probably introduced um, Betox to the scene where she said she remains her youthful looks by getting stung in the face a couple oh, really of, yeah so it's sort of and 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 it was probably the first stinging was probably the first acupuncture as well um throughout history and then um a wa scientist has got some really exciting studies that she's undertaking to say that the bee venom will actually um her it will kill um, breast cancer cells without hurting the human cells so, so there's um, lots of interesting possible spin-offs from could, uh, would they i mean there would there be any benefit because obviously you know, everyone knows that a bee once it's, it's got one sting and then it dies 
so it sort of gives its life to to sting, protect the colony. Yeah, to protect basically. the colony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and is there any? I don't know. Would there be any benefit in in genetically engineering a bee that didn't die if once it's stung? I mean, is there is there a kind of benefit to the colony of bees? This is another way of looking at. It. Is there a benefit to the to the hive overall if the one bee dies in defending it, or would it actually be better to have the one bee not die in defending the, the colony? And if that's the case, why haven't bees why have, why have bees evolved the way they have? They've evolved the way they have to um, because they realise that the future is more important than themselves. So they have to protect the queen because the queen is their future. Mm. And that's why when you're out um, in the garden and, and, and witnessing bees, they're, they're not interested at all in stinging you. They've only really got the sting there to protect their future. And their future is the honey, the queen and the babies. And um, so that's how they're evolved in that way. They've actually, the barb um, will work on humans and honey badgers um, and bears, natural predators. But if it was another insect or a spider, they wouldn't lose the barb. So ah. they, they live. And Okay, so they can still have an effect, like a toxic effect on a, another insect without actually dying. losing the whole barb. So it's, the, it's actually remove. It's the bit that gets stuck in your skin that you've got to pull out. Yep. That's, that's the thing that is causing the... If that separates from the bee, then it dies. And, and under a microscope, you, you can see that it's like a hook. So hmm. it will, um, yeah, but for a, a spider or another insect, it, it wouldn't pull its guts out as such. Um, but I have had seen, I, I saw, first saw it in a video, but um, I've tried it myself where bees will be annoyed and come to sting me and they'll just get the end of the sting and then they'll think, hey, hang on a second, I don't want to die. And then they'll spin around in an anti-clockwise and, and, and unscrew it. And unscrew it. And um, I've seen that happen a few times. I love the things that they do, like the figure eights, the, the, the sort of non-verbal communications they have. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting stuff as well, which we've spoken about. And if you want to catch up on uh, kind of um, the back issues, if you like, or previous uh, interviews that I've done and discussions I've had with Simon Mulvaney of Save the Bees Australia, you can head to uh, my program website, which is beyondinfinity.com.au. There's a heap of stuff there. Just have a, have a search for Simon Mulvaney and you'll find all sorts of stuff about um, bees and beekeeping and uh, the flow hive we, we uh, had a chat with um, cedar anderson the, the inventor of the f uh, flow hive a few years ago now but it's uh, it's still an interesting listen so um yeah just just head to that website beyondinfinity.com.au for that um simon i was just going to mention to you i went i went um camping with some buddies up on the haukle river and i went for a swim in the river on saturday afternoon it was a beautiful afternoon uh, just to freshen up and i noticed these these wasps flying in and out of just the of a sort of the the edge very close to the water of the the riverbank the Hauqua and I, I don't know I stupidly thought oh they're nasty wasps I'll just put a couple of rocks over the entrance there were two entrances to their lair you know to the nest and I put one over and then went for a swim I didn't really notice any kind of re particular reaction to that and then when I got out I put another one over the other entrance. There were two probably about, I don't know, like uh, say 20 centimetres apart. And I got swarmed. I got attacked. And uh, I had to get the hell out of there. I had I just was wearing board shorts. I had a T-shirt in my hand. 
uh, I I was fl- you know swinging it around me to try to get these this swarm from attacking me. So I, there it, would have been hundreds. The European wasps. I European guess. wasps. And um, what's fascinating when I've seen an event like that is they've got facial recognition. Right. So they tend to go just for you and not for the people around you. Because there were other people who were nearby who hadn't done anything with their with rocks over their over the mm. entrances to their nest, and they went for me. And I mean, I only I got three bites, which are still itchy now. One on the mm. back of my neck. One on my one on my back. And one through my board shorts on my butt cheek. Uh, yeah, nasty things. And I believe if you get enough bites from them, like if you got hundreds of bites in a short period of time, you could actually go into anaphylactic shock. They could be quite nasty. Well, they're different to bees in the fact they can keep stinging you. Mm. And um, yeah, they, they do fire up and they've got marvellous communication to the rest of the colony. Mm. So bees will probably be stinging the wasp would be stinging you, then going back and telling more mm. to come out. And, um, yeah, like um, that, I'm, I'm surprised that we don't see more deaths associated with European wasps because there are a lot around and this is the time of year you tend to see them, February, March. Right. Any um, impact from European wasps on bees? Um, they, they both originate from Europe, so they sort of have a symbiotic relationship mostly and and that's what i've seen mm. like i've seen honeybees lap the european wasps go inside the hive get a, a dead bee out and fly off right and a bit at the same time um it might have been near where you were a commercial beekeeper rang me and said that the european wasps were killing his bee colonies um but they would choose the weakest colony first and then just one by one were um, attacking the colonies, but that must be, you know, going towards winter when there's was nothing else for the wasps to sort of eat or no resources. Mm. But yeah. mostly they get along well. Okay, well that's good to know, I guess. All right, well look, it's an interesting conversation we're having with Simon Malvani from Save the Bees Australia. You can check out his uh, Instagram page, and you can also check out his uh, well a couple of websites, uh, Save the Bees Australia and Be the Cure. Uh, both websites Simon's involved with. So I suggest you do that because there's lots of really great uh, information there if you're interested in bees and ecology and um, sort of medical benefits and and kind of life benefits that go from... Um, I, I think I'd be right in saying to, about Simon that he's someone who really does love bees. He likes having them around. He likes living with them. Have you still got hives in your backyard? You had heaps from the last place you were in. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've I've got about five or six in the backyard. I've always got hives that I'm taking there, then relocating. Yep. This year, it's I had some good news that um, Portsea Estates said would be able to turn that into a bee sanctuary. Oh, cool! And they That's do great. a lot of regen farming up there, and I don't know, they probably make the best Pinot Noir on the. Peninsula. I know they make a really nice white as well. I think it is. Is it mm. a Chardonnay or a Pinot Grigio or something? But it's, yeah, they've got very nice wine there. So they've got a lot of land there. So mm. in previous years, you know, I might save. 100 colonies within a year and then think oh where am i going to put them all Mm. um now i know they're going to have a safe home good good to hear beyond infinity